0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn, and I am joined, as always, by my childhood friend Chris Dow, dot Bin, and my adulthood friend Minty Booth, a jar full of seeds. And we are discussing our all-time top one hundred video games of all time. <laughs> Announcement.
1: Announcement.
0: As you will have seen, if you're a fan of the podcast, or indeed, if you're not a fan of the podcast, but simply know us, <laughs> we have launched a Patreon page as we've hurtled with thrusters on full into our second season, our top 50 favorite video games of all time. In order to expand the podcast and try and create more content, we are inviting you to become patrons of the podcast. If you go to www patreon.com forward slash our three cents you can find a whole load of different perks that you can receive in exchange for pledging your support to us things like personalized shout outs customized artwork access to deleted scenes and bonus episodes that are flipping great even the opportunity to record an episode with us We'd love to be able to grow the podcast, and we'd love it if you could come on that journey with us. So, uh, yeah, if you fancy it, pop on over there, have a little look, and uh, join in the fun. So, this week, we have our number 47s. But before we do that, it's time to burn the roof of our mouths and leave us a bit hoarse in the throat as we chow down on some Finder's Quispy Pancakes. <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> it's really ridiculous. The score is currently 28 to 24 in favour of Chris. So let's see if... Well, it's just, let's just see what happens next. Mm-hmm. What was the name of the memory cards that the Sega Dreamcast used? VMU. That is... The correct answer. The visual memory unit. Oh, you don't just show off.
1: (laughs) Were they the ones that went into the controller and had like the LCD screen? They did, yeah. The batteries in them ran
2: out incredibly quickly and then would just beep at you every time you turn the console on. So (laughs) it was
0: a a double-edged sword of that. It was like great innovation, but also terribly annoying. (laughs) I remember, couldn't you take out the little KOs or Chows, whatever they're called in Sonic Adventure, as like little Tamagotchis? You could, yeah. I mean, fun tech. But some would say ahead of its time. Others would say not good enough. Vaguely <laughs> impressive tat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Indeed. So what have we been playing this week? Minty.
1: Oh, I'm still chugging along with Tales of Vesperia. I'm getting my money's worth for that. I think I'm up to a pound for every hour that I've played at the moment. Pretty nice. Pretty good value. I'm still nowhere near the end. Because um, this is my first playthrough since getting this definitive edition. I don't know whether I just want to get right to the end of it and then start new game plus and then go for a hundred percent i just yeah i want to do so much of it now but i know i'll be able to do more of it later well uh...
2: delayed gratification that's like the uh, marshmallow test isn't it yes you can complete the game now <laughs> and you could
1: have
0: more game later <laughs> <laughs> Or you could have some marshmallows whilst playing the game. So Because you're a fucking adult. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> exactly. It sounds like you're, yeah, like you said, certainly getting your money's worth. Mm. I started an RPG myself this last week. Ooh. And I don't know quite why I did that when there's only 11 days to go as of time of recording until Animal Crossing comes out. So I don't quite know why I went, yeah, I'm going to start The Witcher 3 now. That traditionally slim game. (laughs) But I'm having an absolutely brilliant time. I'm playing it on the Switch. And I think you said, Chris, when you first got it, that actually that was probably the most likely way that you would play it in being able to pick pick up and play in little bite-sized chunks. And that's exactly what I've been doing. I've put in significantly more time into it on the Switch than I have managed to do on the PlayStation my friend Lewis described The Witcher 3 as like Skyrim, if Skyrim had good fighting mechanics and good characters. And I agree. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's just very, very good. Very thorough world. It's very, it's obviously steeped in its own lore from a whole series of books and obviously the other games and related comics and loads of other things. And it just feels like a proper, alive world. And it's, it's just great. It's, it's good escapism. So I'm enjoying that very much. Very bleak though. There's some very Aww. bleak things to contrast with that. I've also been playing the bright and colourful Monster Boy in the Cursed Kingdom, which you recommended last week, Chris. Ooh, when I spoke is about it Wonder nice? Boy Three, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's really, really nice. It's clearly heavily inspired by Wonder Boy Three: the Dragon's Trap, yeah. and it's got a lot of similar, familiar elements. But it's a it's a great combination of old and new. And it's, I mean, oh, you know, I'm going to love this when I say it's got a proper Metroidvania setup. Oh. <laughs> It's just really good fun. It's really good fun. Like the way you sort of change into different creatures, like in Wonder Boy Three, is managed really, really well. And it's it's just very, yeah. It's really good fun. So I've been enjoying playing that. I've also made a couple of breakthroughs in Outer Wilds. You'll be pleased to know. Oh, yeah, good. yeah. The tides are turning on uh, on that. I'm quite eager to uh, get back to my PlayStation and 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 play a bit more on that. But in the meantime, I've also been playing because you know. I thought I would get three or four games to try and complete before Animal Crossing comes out. (laughs) You're a busy boy. Yeah, I'm on holiday. Today I bought Murder (laughs) by Numbers on the Nintendo Switch, which I posted about on our Facebook group uh, the other week. It is a 90s set murder mystery where you solve the case through doing Picross puzzles. And it is flipping great. I mean, I love a Picross (laughs) game, but the story and the presentation is... So good. I mean, it is so 90s, I can barely breathe. Like, the the lead character is dressed as the intro from Saved by the Bell. It's like, uh, I'm half expecting Andy Peters to burst out of a broom cupboard at any minute. It's genuinely funny. Like I was laughing out loud playing it while I sat in a coffee shop earlier. Just got like, yeah, really true to the spirit of the 90s. It's very, very cleverly written. And the music and the audio work in the game is is outstanding. And this is all stuff that I've never said before about a Picross game. (laughs) So on top of all of that, I'm having a great time. And also I get to do Picross puzzles. So yeah, really, really good fun. I'd definitely recommend it. It's only like 10 quid or something on the eShop. So yeah.
1: Sounds fun.
2: Chris, I've also been playing a little bit of Picross, not via Murder by Numbers, but I played a bit of Mario's Picross Two on the Game Boy, Oof. which which is going right right back. And like Mario's Picross on the Game Boy was probably like arguably the start of mainstream video game Picross. And the second game recently got like a fan translation because it was previously Japan exclusive. And you know you don't need a brilliant grasp of language to enjoy a Picross puzzle, but it's nice to have kind of a new reason to go back and enjoy a nice little handheld version of a puzzle game I hadn't really played before because I I played the original and and finished that years back but I'd never played the second one and it's kind of tarted up and shows kind of like where the series was going to eventually end up with the um, 3DS versions and and the DS versions before and everything like that so it's really nice other than that anyone who's followed us on uh, social media will be aware that I Uh, Went back to Tetris 99. Obviously. Well, no, scratch that. You can't go back to something that you play every single day, can you? (laughs) So I've I've continued to play Tetris 99. Now, I've been trying for months to win one of the Tetris Invictus matches, which is basically like the Cup Winners' Cup. It's like the easy mode, right? Yeah, yeah, the really easy one. But you're only allowed to (laughs) enter it if you've already won a Tetris Maximus. That's like a first place finish in the regular game mode. And in this Invictus mode, I'd come second probably 20 times in the last fortnight. And it's so painful the amount of times I get there. And then find out on the leaderboard that I was beaten by like computer AI, because basically the way it does it is if you can't fill the room with a hundred people, because you're not always going to have a hundred winners playing, it rounds it out just with the hardest AI bots. And in these situations, like a loss feels so much more egregious because I feel like <laughs> I've done the hard work, I've beat everyone, yeah. I, I, sh- I shouldn't have to be kicked down by like Johnny Number Five at the end. So it's, it's really really frustrating. <laughs> it's the robot from Short Circuit. It is, yeah. <laughs>
0: this is an incredibly racist film.
2: It is, isn't it? Who plays uh, not a white person?
0: Fisher Stevens.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not good. Yeah. yeah. Not good. But this week I finally won and it felt amazing because holding your nerve at the end of those matches is like a nightmare. It's really, really tough. And even one wrong move usually costs you like 10, 15 lines of garbage. And and the majority of the time, that's enough to just top out the well. So you have to really, really hold firm and think, okay, I'm just going to really carefully make moves. I'm going to try and keep a combo going as long as possible. And I mean, now, Am I going to stop playing now that I've beaten this mode? Probably not. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I I have literally played Tetris 99 probably for every single day since it's been released. But at the very least, it feels like I've reached sort of like a coda on the experience and I can just have a bit of a rest. (laughs) So, you know, just to kind of put it inside and maybe play it every other day for a change. (laughs) But yeah, brilliant game. So a week of puzzles, really. I haven't played much of, of note other than that, really. Is there a Cup, Winners' Cup, Winners' Cup? I wish there was. I wish it just went infinitely deep.
0: Well, there we go. Well done. Well done on behalf of two of us. Yes. <laughs> Congratulations. You've got to get murdered by numbers. I, I think I will. Should we move on to the rankings? Superb. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Starting this week, we have My Game. My Game this week is a really good game, but I actually played through it again quite recently and think that I may have placed it too high. But oh. thinking about it and writing these notes, I began to remember how much I actually enjoyed it the first time round, how it really opened my eyes to a different style of game than i played before, how much an art style and creative choices can impact the way a game feels, and how important indie games are in the modern video game environment. Ooh. It is the... 2011 hack-and-slash role-playing game, Bastion. Oh! So, like most indie games, this was a real labour of love from a team of only, like, seven people at a company called Supergiant Games. And, I mean, it really is a beautiful little gem of a game. The basic premise is you play as a character called The Kid, and you're plonked into this fantasy world called Salondia after there's been an apocalyptic event called The Calamity, which has literally fractured this world. And you are fighting your way through the remnants of it to locate crystals that restore parts of the world and construct the fabled Bastion, which is meant to be the last refuge for mankind in the event of such a calamity. It's, I mean, it's a great story. But I mean, <laughs> at, its heart, it's, <laughs> at its heart, it's a fairly straightforward action RPG. You find and upgrade different weapons, armor and abilities as you work through the different areas and towns, getting stronger until you reach the end. But... Everything about the design of the game is so beautiful and deliberate that it makes for a much deeper rewarding experience than perhaps its fairly simple setup would usually yield in another game. So, firstly, let's talk about the art style. So, despite its post apocalyptic setting, it's got a really beautiful hand drawn aesthetic. It's bright and colourful and full of life, similar to a game like Machinarium or uh, a film I thought of, like Mad Max Fury Road, which is dystopian, but so colourful. Oh, yes. it is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. and it really rocks mm. the space-western, lived-in sci-fi vibe that things like Star Wars and Firefly have. I mean, it's, it's just really, really nice to look at. It's also really quite clever and nice, the way that the game is constructed, quite, quite literally. It's very intuitively done. So as you're exploring this fractured world, the map build itself around you sort of pieces of floor buildings rubble enemies all just appearing out of the ether depending on where you're walking and not only is this really cool to look at it also serves the brilliant function of you not needing a map to explore as it's so obvious where you've been and, and where you haven't and it allows you to find little hidden parts of the world by taking a bit of a risk and rolling off the edge of the map where you think something might be hidden super monkey ball style super monkey ball style it's yeah it's exactly (laughs) the same game And it was just very evocative <laughs> when you're sort of plunked down in the middle of a new area and you're just surrounded by just void. And then slowly this the level and the world starts to build itself around you. And that sense of exploration and adventure is, is, is fantastic. So the main gimmick that this game was sold to me on was its audio. And the fact that this game was being narrated like you would an old sage retelling the story of the kid to generations to come sat around the campfire. But it's actually being live narrated so to speak so the narration would change depending on what you were doing there are obviously lots of predetermined pieces of this to, to tell the story but but sometimes it would change slightly depending on like what weapon you were fighting with or what abilities you were using and depending on which route you wanted to take and what order you wanted to do things in and i mean sometimes you would even be narrated doing like bugger all, like if you just start dodge rolling around, like the narrator would all of a sudden say, uh, the, the kid rolls around for a bit or something like that. And, and, uh, oh. Or if you're standing still, he'll say like, the kid frozen in fear contemplates the journey ahead of him or something like that. It's um, it's a really fun gimmick and it, it does actually add to the tone of the game and it it does end up actually tying in nicely with the story and it makes sense as well sort of before the end of the game. But there's something about that that then automatically means that your adventure feels very personal to you because you are kind of in control of your own story even though you know it is a fairly linear game actually so i said at the beginning that i've played through the game again recently and i wasn't quite as enamored with it as i was originally but then i I remember playing it for the first time. I just, I had so much fun, like building my arsenal, exploring this world, getting stronger, finding these little like target smashing mini games and getting the top score on those, testing out all the different weapons and abilities. And then like when I beat the game, I I went straight back in, play again on New Game Plus. And the first time I played through it, I beat the game in about two sittings, I think. I mean, it's not a huge game. It's maybe like seven or eight hours, but then... As soon as I finished playing it at the end of my second session, I booted up New Game Plus and I just sat and played through the whole game again in that same sitting. Like, I, I was just... I, I was insatiable for bastions. Couldn't get enough of them.
1: <laughs>
0: uh-huh. Uh-huh. Absolutely riddled with bastions. <laughs> 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 this game then led me to discover similar games like the Death Spank series, which I feel a bit bad about not having any representation on this list as they were just an absolutely superb trilogy of games really well made very funny just downright enjoyable and then that led me to discover games like Diablo and stuff like that and I I think I was spoiled a little bit by Diablo 3 especially as I played that after I'd kind of got into roguelikes and that combination of hack and slash dungeon crawler and roguelike that Diablo does scratched whatever itch that was for me so perfectly that when I revisited Bastion a, a few months ago I was a bit underwhelmed because, you know, I'd felt so fulfilled by Diablo. Having said that, at one point, the game was a lot higher on my list, even still. So I'm really not sure where the right place for it is now (laughs) uh, because it's a game that it had a very, very special place in my heart and I absolutely loved it and had an incredibly fun time playing it like first, second time round. So I mean, it's certainly deserving of a place on this list. And I I do believe that it's a game that should be played by everyone, even though I think there probably are more sophisticated examples of the genre available. But then again, it's still a game that holds up. Like, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. And it's available on everything as well now. You can get oh, it on your it really phone. is, isn't it? Yeah, it's everywhere. I mean, everyone's rife with Bast. And I
2: mean, it's last gen and current gen, isn't it? It Because it launched yeah. on the 360 originally.
0: And then I'm pretty sure it's on all current platforms as well. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. I did play the spiritual successor to Bastion that Supergiant made called Transistor, but I, I didn't get on that well with it. and I'm, I'm not sure why, because, I mean, it's got so many elements of things that I love in it. But yeah, I'm I'm not really sure why it didn't click. I think I liked how straightforward and simple Bastion was. It was, you know, like I said, a very simple setup, but then very satisfying with that. I think there was a bit too much going on in Transistor, but I don't know. Maybe I should give it another chance. But I've never got around to playing Pyre, which was their third game even though that's meant to be absolutely incredible. If it was on Switch, I, I think I probably would buy it and, and play it. it just add it to my list of things I'm playing on the Switch before Animal Crossing. Why not? <laughs> 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 but yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'll try and revisit Transistor, give Pyre a go before their next game comes out on consoles, which is due to be later this year. It's a game called Hades, which is it's currently on early access on Steam. But it looks it looks. Oh, it looks brilliant. It's like a proper roguelike dungeon crawler set in the world of Greek myths. Oh, wow. Apparently, there's a plot thread of Orpheus and Eurydice Minty, which you may like. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, Supergiant are clearly a developer of real quality and artistry. And it's great to see them growing and making larger scale games. But their quality was certainly... It was evident right there in Bastion, right at the beginning of their, of their life. And uh, I am really pleased to, to get the opportunity to talk about it.
2: I, I need to finish it. I played half of it through on the 360 and then stopped back, back in the day. Oh, uh, And I've got a copy on the Vita. It's, it's on the shelf at the moment, but I just um, yeah. need to play it.
0: Do it. It's a good game. Moving on, we have Minty. Minty. It's me. Can you please tell us about your 47th favourite
1: video game? So I am a firm believer... That we need far more of everything set in space. <laughs> right. Name one thing that wouldn't be better if it was set in space or on an alien planet. Actually, don't waste my time because it can't be done. <laughs> can't be done. <laughs> All right? Stop thinking. So Answers just... on the back of a postcard. Imagine Rick Stein backpacking around Mars, cooking up red rock rump roast, or (laughs) Jackson Pollock doing some crazy, splashy bullshit in zero gravity, or, I don't know, Moses parting the sea of tranquility. Space makes everything better, and I shan't hear a word against it. I got a meteorite for Christmas, and it blows my mind that I have a lump of metal from space that I can just touch whenever I want. Space is full of mental shit, and more games need to take that and run with it, like Xenoblade Chronicles X. Is that your game? Yes, that's my game. <laughs> Please clap. <laughs> ah, excellent. Yes. It's a good game. Yeah. So as Chris said when we were but podcast sucklings this is a this is a weird game but it's one of my absolute favorites on the wii u for a game that was so vast and expansive with the survival of the small cohort of humanity that had crash landed on this new alien planet at stake it was it was a very gentle and easygoing game in terms of pacing and threat so, there's this alien race called the Ganglion that see you as a genocidal threat to their species and are intent on wiping you out first. But that's a story for another time. Why not have a potter around the planet mirror and collect some bued mugworts and some timid sunflowers? <laughs>
2: it's the best bit. You- I love collecting shit.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've just unlocked the vehicles. That'll really help open up the rest of the game's content. Uh, but don't worry about the quests just yet. You can just see what new creatures are in each biome. Mm. Oh, and don't forget to check out the community notice board and help people gather ingredients for their space broth or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, it will be foolish to equate that gentle pacing with uh, with simplicity or, or easiness, because this is... Like, the planet that this is set on is profoundly uncharted. All you really know <laughs> when you start is the overarching objective of the game is to find the life hold core, which is like this massive battery that will power the dwindling power reserves of new Los Angeles, which is, the, uh, which is like the, the ship that's acting as the home for the few survivors that escapes the destroyed earth. New LA is about 0.3% of the world map. And even then it's pretty big. But it's also where the game's shitty little Nop-on character <laughs> lives, so I'm not going to talk about it too much. You love a Nop-on. He looks like Peter Griffin, and I hate him. <laughs> I wish Lynn made good on her threats to cook and eat him every single time you opened up a new chapter of the quest line. Horrible character. Dreadful knop <laughs> on
0: on More like nope-on, am I right? Yeah, exactly. Knop <laughs> on
1: Nope. Off. My game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Oh, I hate them. So this, you've, got, you've got this huge world full of weird creatures and strange geography. It just makes walking around really, really thrilling. Like When you go for a walk in a field around here, you'd be lucky to see a squirrel or a deer. And don't get me started on the last time I saw a frog. <laughs> Too long. Too long ago. Oh, <laughs> well, you love seeing frogs. I do, and I wish I saw more of them. But you step out of the gates on East New LA and immediately you see loads of stuff that looks like pigs, bats, Mm. spiders, crabs, gorillas. And you turn the corner and the sheer spectacle of this crazy world hits you like a spouse's fart. <laughs> <laughs> huge cliffs sprawling jungles great dunes of silver sand strange crumbling ruins of unknown civilizations and huge pools of lava each territory was stranger creatures and greater threats than the last it's almost never-ending, the amount of flora and fauna that out there to discover. Just experiencing this world is such a vast undertaking. And then you've got the other sentient races to save from the ganglion, the mining network to establish to get resources to improve your equipment, the the collectopedia, like you said, Chris, Mm. one of the best parts of the game, just... Finding out what everybody has to say about I don't know a a, a quivering clam or whatever <laughs> nonsense you pick up when you go to the beach, and then also you've got uh, you've got the named monsters to vanquish. Oh yes, love the named monsters in Xenoblade games. They're basically mini bosses instead of having like ready salted shit names like uh, the Green Dragon or the Pirate Boss. It's stuff like Harmut the Calamity and <sighs> Telethia the Endbringer. Immovable Bernard was one of them as well, wasn't he? <laughs> it's just mad, over-the-top <laughs> shit that really sums up what Zenderblade is as a series. It's joyous, it's extravagant, and it's just wonderful. Zenderblade Chronicles X, my 47th favourite video game.
0: We've said it before, and I'll say it again. <laughs> Bring it to the Switch, and I'll play it. exactly unbelievably
2: it's what been like a year since I brought it up in this podcast mm. and then we were talking about oh could be a switch port around the corner no. and it hasn't happened yet <laughs> you know we get we're getting the remastered uh, Xenoblade Chronicles which is lovely be lo- nice to play that on a bit on a big shiny screen but I want to play X again that's the one I want to yeah. play yeah
1: yeah yeah
2: as you describe it minty it's, it's just heaving with stuff it' it's, it's massive
1: oh just
0: throbbing with content ring it out and you could fill a house fully laden with cont so finally but not lastly we have chris can you please tell us what your 47th favorite video game of all time is please oh okay now i believe it
2: was the famous philosopher uh, professor richard jacks who wrote living in a city you know you have to survive brilliant You've got to keep that dream alive
0: <laughs> where everything
2: is free can't you see and it's been, it's been months since we mentioned this game, but I, I love Sonic R. <laughs> so Sonic R is, is my 47th favorite video game. Amazing. And, and saying this, it is comfortably, I think, the worst game on this list.
1: Oh. <laughs> it has to be. But,
2: but I genuinely <laughs> and unreservedly and unequivocally yeah. love it. And, and it pains me that it ranked so low on your list, Jonathan. <laughs> Although, to be honest, I'm surprised it ranked on any list.
0: Yeah. You know,
2: I, I really think it's it's not a good game. And I'll go into all that in a bit. But anyway, like when, when I was a kid, I, I grew up, like we've said before, I was a Sega child. I never had a Nintendo console until the, the Game Boy and then the N64. So I had a Master System first, then I had a Mega Drive. And for that period, Sonic represented all of video games to me in the same way that I'm sure if you had an NES, Mario was like, that was games. So from a very young age, I was impressionable enough to be swept up in like Sonic's cool attitude. I'm doing the big inverted commas. And and I loved anything that featured the character just by virtue of it being connected to this franchise that for some reason I developed this deep personal connection to. So I, I played and loved, rightly or wrongly, like both numbered entries on the Master System. I don't think they're that bad, but they're not, they're not great games. I really loved the spin-off Sonic Chaos that I had as a kid as well, which is a game that when I went back and revisited like years on, it ran so poorly on the Master System itself that I thought my emulator was set up incorrectly. No, it was just it just didn't run. It was it was terrible on the on the Master System, and never knew it at the time. I loved all the core titles on the Mega Drive, so one, two, three, and, and Sonic and Knuckles. I found value in like Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine, which was Sega's weird attempt at rebranding Poyo Poyo for the West. And that was purely because the characters you fought against were all characters from the Saturday morning Sonic TV show. I loved Sonic 3D. Like we've talked about this when you brought it up, despite it not being a great game, Jonathan. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, like by extension, because of that, I even went back to and enjoyed the early arcade game Flicky that had a Mega Drive port as well, because it had a loose lineage to Traveller's Tales Sonic 3D. By the time the Saturn came out, like we've talked about the Saturn quite a bit, the first taste of like 3D Sonic was in the gallery section of Sonic Jam, yeah. the compilation of, of Mega Drive games. And I, I played that to death. Like considering outside of having some pictures and videos and, and music to listen to and, and view and whatever, you just ran about and it was at most like five minutes worth of, of play. And yet I, I just would do that for hours at a time. It, it was Sonic. It was in 3D. It was great. And I mean, when I then was reading Sega Sat magazine and saw that Traveller's Tales were coming back to make a, a new 3D Sonic game... The magazine coverage at first had me like almost salivating. This was the most exciting thing I can imagine happening. And as more information came out, I realized it was gonna be a racing game. So I was I was a bit less enthusiastic, <laughs> but still I excitedly got it for like, it might've been a Christmas or a birthday or something around that time. And I played it basically just through to completion again and again and again. Now what's notable about that idea of, of playing it to completion is as a, a fun personal fact for people that don't know, the Sega Saturn it was one of the first consoles that had its own battery backup like save RAM in the back of the machine and this was powered by a little watch battery in, in the back of the console and embarrassingly for the first two or three years of having a Saturn I didn't know this was a feature and it was only like <laughs> oh. someone had told me just in passing about it and I was like what? I don't have to beat every game from start <laughs> to finish every time I play it so so this was for, for months and well years I, I believe this so every time I turned the Saturn on I'd have to enter the full time and date I'd have to go through the motions of booting it all up and then in turn i'd have to play sonic r to 100 in one sitting that was just what you had to do and i mean by virtue of this sort of childhood idiocy <laughs> I, I, re- I realized quite young that <laughs> one sonic r was not a very long game because there yeah. are just just five tracks and even though as as you mentioned jonathan when you talked about it like basically a year ago they were layered tracks they were tangled and they were filled with alternative routes and hidden collectibles they were still just five tracks and it was five tracks that you'd play as a race then you'd replay in one-on-one battles to unlock additional characters and that was it that's that's the game and i mean doing some research for this the world record speed run for sonic r is currently just shy of 15 minutes <laughs> for 100 percent. and i mean as a casual player even like after i've had a, a race to warm up to the controls again i could probably beat sonic r in 45 minutes these days yeah and i mean for this reason it's it's Bizarrely, one of the games that I do return to almost every single year. <laughs> and and originally, this meant I would like wheel out the Sega Saturn, I'd boot it up and play it through. And then, when it had, uh, it was included on the, the Sonic Gems collection yeah, for the PlayStation 2 and the GameCube, alongside the other kind of weird Sonic spin offs, Sonic the Fighters and Sonic CD, <laughs> it became more accessible. So I, I, I did that. And, and again, I've played it most years since uh, through to 100%. <laughs> now, in these yearly revisits, I've, I've noticed a few things about the game. <laughs> I mean, w- one, the visuals hold up really well. I'll give them that. Like, on the Saturn, they were legitimately jaw-dropping. Like, it's the best-looking yeah. Saturn game by, by some distance. Solid frame rate as well. Yeah, ran we ran really well. Yeah. And I mean, on, on the PS2, there was, like, slightly better texture work. There was kind of more rounded edges. So, it doesn't look that bad on that either. Like, considering it's a 32-bit game scaled up, it's it pretty good. Secondly the controls were not good. (laughs) And, And I've noticed this more and more, that whether you use a digital pad or an analog controller, the characters, like up until this point, had been almost exclusively in slick 2D platform games. And yet, for reasons I never really understand, in Sonic R, they all move like rally cars. <laughs> so they, they accelerate in a strange way. Uh, you yeah. can hold the shoulder buttons to like drift around the corners if you're applying almost like air brakes, like you're playing Wipeout. Essentially, it was a reskin of a Formula One game. <laughs> yeah, I, did, I did read that, actually. Yeah. It's very, very strange. It makes sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely for feel. But it's like, why does why does Sonic have brakes? Why, why does Sonic <laughs> have a left and right brake? So like the characters slip across the road, like the path is greased. Oh yeah. Jumping is really floaty. Everyone bounces off each other. Like navigating some of the tighter paths or shortcuts, can be just downright unfair. And, <laughs> and there's one particular collectible I remember really, really vividly from the last regular stage before the kind of Rainbow Road uh, analog. You collect it and then you have to do like a 180 degree standing turn. And it's miserable. Yeah, like, like that one part is the worst part of the full game run, because <laughs> turning around—it's like it takes about ten seconds to turn your character around. <laughs> it's unbelievable. So yeah, it controls terribly. And thirdly, this is the thing that you, you can't talk about Sonic R and not talk about this. I don't feel I have the personal capacity or facility. To make sense of the music, (laughs) and and I mean, (laughs) as a child, like when I played this as a kid, I I I really liked the sort of sunny Euro pop that was in the game because it's fantastic. Obviously, as a child, I had no taste whatsoever, (laughs) (laughs) And, and then as as sort of like a teenager revisiting the game, it had a weird like childhood nostalgia connected to it. So even though it was only a few years out from my initial exposure to it, it was still something that I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this. It's all like knockabout good fun. Then now, like as an adult playing the game 20 plus years after its release, (laughs) I I hear these songs and the the kind of clever part of my brain, the part of my brain that I've hopefully taught over the years to listen to what I would call good music, hears it and goes this is unfathomably bad. And, and, and yet I, I still sing along word for word to every single song on the track list. Uh, and, and it's like, it simulates the same part of my brain that ensures that I forget things that I might need to action for work. And yet at the same time, make sure I remember the lyrics to all of the fast food rockers fast food song. Like
1: it, it, you can't get rid of it.
2: There's something about it, which is just like lodged there forever. And it's a soundtrack that I hate and love in, in truly equal measure i think it's like a perfect balance and it's still like i feel a real joy when tracks from this game bleed into other titles so it's appeared it's in, in smash bros like i mentioned recently they came up in sonic all-stars racing transformed as well as sonic team racing more recently yeah and it also as as you said when you brought the game up mr dunn it was the backing audio for the a downloadable 3ds theme uh, you know yeah uh, kind of uh, themed around the sega saturn <laughs> it was so wonderful <laughs> Sonic Art is it's an experience. I think Sonic R, the best way to describe it, it is an experience. And of course it's not better than the other 53 games I've already talked about. That <laughs> it. Of course it's not. But for saying that, when I am 50 years old or when I'm 60 years old or whatever, I genuinely think I'll still be dusting off a copy of Sonic R to play every now and again. I so. and, and I don't think I can say the same for Smash Bros or TXK or Katamari or Rocket Knight or any of these good games. <laughs> because you know the only way to to quantify it and justify it when you're supersonic racing trying to keep your feet right on the ground when you're supersonic racing there is no time to look around it's true it's it's everything and and sonic art it's it's an anomaly so fuck it there you go 47
0: (laughs) (laughs) i i mean i wholeheartedly agree so there we have it another three games first of all we had bastion before
1: so the blade chronicles 10 and then finally <laughs>
0: super sonic racing if you've enjoyed this episode or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes please do subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already i mean i'm sure you probably have leave us a review why not share it on social media tell your friends you can find us on facebook facebook.com forward slash our three cents Have a chat to us on there. We're always chatting about the latest episode. You can ask us questions that you might like us to answer in a future episode or just chat games with us. We love it. We love it. Mm. You can also reach out to us individually. You can find me on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. You can find me at Chaz underscore Hodges. And I am Clement underscore Boo. And also, please do check out our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Our Three Cents. There's so many fantastic ways for you to get involved and get more out of the podcast and allow us to do even more. Huge shout out to Andy Smith, Gene Limbrick, and CJ Anderson, who are our Patreon backers already. And please do join us next week for our 46th favourite video games. Folder 6.